Welcome to the new RPS Pharmacine podcast, where we interview interesting people from the world of pharmacy and beyond. And we want to hear from you. Head to the RPS Twitter and hashtag RPS Pharmacine to have your say on who we should invite to the show and what you would like to ask our guests. Now, please welcome your hosts. Hi and welcome to the RPS Pharmacine podcast. My name is Amandol and I'm the Head of Professional Belonging here at the RPS Today's episode, we're going to be focusing on inclusion and diversity work again, but I'm really excited for our guest today, so I'm sure there's plenty of stories for us to talk about. I'm joined by Lubna Kerr, who is not only a pharmacist, but also a stand-up comedian, actress and writer, and there's not many of us. So Lubna has recently written and performed in her first full-length one-woman play called Tickbox, which she has written and produced alongside her job as a pharmacist. It's semi-autobiographical, story of her parents' life in Pakistan and their move to Glasgow. So Lubna, it's a real pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I loved your introduction. Um, you made me sound unique. That's what some people you are. Say. You are very <laughs> unique. So um, my first question, and I'm sure people listening also want to know, is why and how, as a pharmacist, did you become an actress, stand-up comic, and now a playwright? That's a really interesting question. I ask myself the exact same thing every day. Why did I do this? To be honest, I used to do acting when I was at school and in the Brownies from a very young age. And I kept it going till I was 16. And then being of, of Pakistani heritage, you know, there was always that pressure to do the academic thing. Both my parents were academic. So it was expected that I would go into some sort of profession. And then one day I woke up and I was a pharmacist, you know, and then I think that passion never really leaves you. So I kept sort of tinkering away at bits and pieces, had the children, and then I did my PhD, had the children, worked away for NHS. And then just one day I just thought, you know what? I have the time in my life to do what I want to do. And when you spend your life, as we do as pharmacists and in the pharmacy world, looking after other people, I think your energy can just drain. And I thought, I need to do something that fills me up, that excites me, that I'm passionate about. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm passionate about my job. I love helping people. But it's you're always giving and you need to fill back. You need to, you cannot just give all the time. So mm-hmm. I need to fill my energy and, and doing being in, involved in the creative arts is, was just the right thing for me. And how, um, how did you get into it? I got into acting um, because there was a space in my life when I was able to free up some time uh, because of personal situations. And I went to an evening class along the road from where I live. It was an art centre. They were very friendly and very welcoming, but they're looking at this brown face thinking, what is she doing here? You know, and I think they half expected me to come out with a really Asian accent and half of me wanted to put the accent on so I didn't disappoint them. You know, but I thought, no, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I was like, oh, where's the script? And they're like, oh, no, no, we're going to do improv. Oh, you mean make it up as we go along? Like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> panic setting. So that was my first introduction to what modern theatre was like, having been away for, you know, a long number of years. And then from there, I went on to do um, evening classes at Strathclyde University. They did, they do lifelong learning, brilliant uh, stuff. And I did theatre studies there. And from there, do you know what? Things just happened. Mm-hmm. I saw somebody emailed me and said they were looking for a woman of a certain age in her early 40s to part in this short film. And I'm like, 
okay, what date is it? And I'm a real tennis fan. And it was the middle weekend of Wimbledon, you know, the middle Saturday, right? And I'm like, oh, do I go for this? You know, I love my tennis, but oh, do I really want to do acting? Oh, well, if I really want to do it, I better put some work in, you know? So I said, yes, I was free. Well, I'm so glad I did that because actually that short film then went to the Cannes Film Festival. Just amazing. Gave me an insight into where I was in the pecking order which was right at the bottom. <laughs> I was brought up in Glasgow, but I've moved to Edinburgh and I've been there for quite a, a long time. I've, I've got the, the chat of the Glaswegian and the how to avoid the, answering the question of an Edinburgh person. <laughs> One of the things that my friends say is they call me a networking queen, right? And I am good at networking. I could network an empty room, right? So so there was lots and lots of networking at the start of the, of the Cannes Festival. You were meeting lots of people and they would say, oh, who's your agent? oh, do you have a showreel? And I'm like, I don't have any of these things. I don't have a name. Never show. Are you an equity? Are you in spotlight? So by the end of it, I was like, oh, well, I'm just in between agents. And oh, yeah, I'm working on a, a new showreel. You know, and I think actually, if I had known those questions, I probably wouldn't have gone. And I think that the, the naivety of it actually helped me go there. Yeah. And because you engage with people and if people like you, like who you are actually doesn't matter what qualifications you have or you haven't got so I um I went to a few red carpets that's absolutely fab and all these photographers are taking photographs thinking who's she do we know her oh I don't know. is that pretty Patel's wee sister nah you've mentioned obviously like all the bits and pieces that you're doing but how do you juggle your multiple careers you know pharmacy can be quite a full-on career in itself yeah so when I started I was I was working in pharmacy where very part-time and I'm still working. I don't work full-time in pharmacy. So a lot of the arts work is development and it's a lot of writing. Stand-up gigs are in the evening. I do my day job when I'm working. I don't work full-time. And then in the evenings, I do my writing or I go and do my gigs. I manage it. I manage it. And I think it really helps the pharmacy side of it because, you know, when, when times get tough, as they do, as you can imagine, then actually I know I've got something really that I love that I, yeah. I'm looking forward to. So it's that yin and yang. And I think that's really important for everybody to have that in their life. It gives you a different focus, doesn't it? And a complete cut off because it's so different. But how has your pharmacy career influenced your creative work and vice versa? My stand up and my writing is influenced by things that happen to me, the things that people say to me, the people that I meet. I'm trying not to be too disrespectful about the idiots I meet. Um, but, you know, you do you do get a lot of people who say very silly things to you. Like, I mean, there was one time when I was at a diabetes um, conference a few years ago and the days when we went to meet people in real life. And um, I was doing Glasgow for the conference and this is a dietitian or something. I'm not quite sure what she was. She says, oh, you're a pharmacist. I'm like, uh-huh. She's oh, and, and you're Pakistani? I'm like, mm, two points, yeah, you've got that. She says, oh, do you know this Pakistani pharmacist in Aberdeen? You know, I do use that in my stand-up because it's just such a ridiculous question. So, you know, again, Pakistani Asian culture, we're very respectful. We don't tell people what we really think because it would be rude. So I just I just smiled sweetly and said, no, I didn't. But in my stand-up, I'll say, yeah, that's right. We all came across in the boat together. You know, I've got a, date, I've got a database <laughs> of them. Do you know what? It's just so... My pharmacy career, I, I don't bring that into, not at the moment anyway. When mm. I retire, I'll bring it into it. But at the moment, I don't. And how about the other way around? Obviously, you've got lots of confidence because you're up on stage and being like improvising. Has that affected your, the way that you speak to patients within your pharmacy job? You know, I've given talks all over the world um, as a pharmacist. So I've always had that 
So I actually think it's the other way around. I think when I go on stage, I'm not scared of standing on stage. I'm scared of in case I'm not funny. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas most people are like, oh, they're scared of, you know, going in front of a camera or being in front of on stage. I don't have that fear. Mm. I'm just thinking, are they going to laugh? (laughs) So that's, that's, that's my fear. I think they both helped each other. Pharmacy having, you know, speaking at conferences and things has helped Mm. the confidence side of being on stage. And then being involved in the arts has then, maybe it has given me a bit more, confidence with my patients I, I mean I maybe make them laugh a bit more yeah. I've, I've realized that actually laughter is best it's the best medicine yeah. and if you want people to absorb information if you make a joke about something or if you bring humor into it mm-hmm. it actually brings warmth to the relationship and then that way not only are you getting whatever message it is across people open up to you more as well you know as an individual if you bring that warmth to to your um, interaction with your patients whether it's on the phone yeah I mean I have set up a clinic um during the pandemic totally 100% on the phone and it is going so so well and mm-hmm. and I would never have believed it but you know you can do it and I think you've got to have that that ability to be able to speak to people and even just say to people hi how are you you know and I start the conversation when I pick up the phone to a patient I'll say hi how are you and they're like they're you know you can sort of hear them hesitating thinking oh oh this is a medical person who's is that asking yeah. how I am you know and then they'll say whatever and then they'll say and how are you mm. and I'll say oh I'm very well thank you for asking and it's so nice when they when you have that uh, interplay of conversation because mm. I think that's something that perhaps communication is so so important in the medical world in the wider medical field and it's something that perhaps I think pharmacists do very well because or the pharmacy world does very well because we're used to engaging with patients on in all different spheres so I think some other parts of the medical profession could learn from us like maybe everyone should take an improv comedy class just to learn how to communicate with patients mm. it's just about being human isn't it of how Absolutely. are you and that makes them feel comfortable in opening up no I advocate I think we should put that forward as a motion advocate that all pharmacy people should do a course in improv I would be very happy to join that course and I know you've obviously mentioned that you are from Pakistan and that's your heritage but how has that South Asian Pakistan heritage come into your writing and performing very much so very 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 much so I talk about in my stand-up in particular I talk about my heritage because when you know the first thing that people see is your face okay and then they clock your face and then they clock the color of your skin they clock what you're wearing they clock your accent and then in their heads they're trying to compute it very 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 quickly to say where is she from I mean that's exactly what they're trying to do and we all do it you don't get me wrong everybody does it even if it's not from a color point of view it's from oh what's that accent oh are you from are you from Yorkshire or oh, maybe you're not maybe you don't want to be from Yorkshire do you know it's just getting that it's just so people make judgments actually I tell you a funny story I'd signed up to do a, a comedy writing course right mm. and I'd put it off and put it off because I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it and it was the year my mum had died and I was looking for a distraction from the grieving process and so I'd looked there was the course was on during the fringe and I thought oh what weekend am I free so I saw the weekend I was free but I didn't book it because I 
I just wasn't 100% sure. Yeah. Anyway, the night before, I thought, right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this course. So I tried to be caught in line, it was too late. So they said, so I phoned them and they said, oh, just pay over the phone. So I paid over the phone, didn't get an email or anything. I knew I'd paid it, that was fine. Turned up the next morning at the course and the guy, the tutor, brilliant guy, Lewis, absolutely fantastic, says to, to everybody, now, are you all ready for your gig? And I'm like, what? This is a, a writing course. Yes. He says, oh, no, no. And the email that you got when you booked it, it said you do a, a gig. And, you know, <laughs> do you ever look back in your life and say, where was that moment when your life changed? Yes. We could have gone, you know, sliding doors moment. If you'd done one thing, it would have done, you know, that was my sliding doors moment. I could have walked out and said, nah, not doing this. But as a good Scottish Pakistani person <laughs> who values every hundred pounds she spends on our writing course, I'm like, oh, I'm not giving that up. So I stayed. And then, so we had the gig the last, on, on the Sunday night. So we had a day and a half of, and that was the first time I'd really written anything that was going to be remotely funny. And that we were rehearsing it to each other. And of course, as your, your colleagues, you know, and of course they're going to laugh. Yeah. Actually, the very first time that you go on stage, you know, you don't know what the response is going to be. So that's actually, that is the nervous part of it. I didn't tell a soul. I didn't tell anybody, not my three children, not any of my friends, not my sister, not my brother, nobody nobody knew because I thought if I'm going to die on stage it will be alone (laughs) this will just be erased and so much so I didn't even use my own name so I went on stage you pick up the mic and you're taught all these you're taught how to pick up the mic put the stand behind you pick up the stands right to put it behind me and it falls apart I don't know what I was going to say you know I was like I felt as if my life was flashing in front of me and I mean the audience oh yeah the other thing was I thought who's going to be there on a Sunday night There'd be nobody, there'd be half a dozen people, right? The place was heaving. There must have been about 100 people there of every colour, every nationality, every language. And I'm speaking in my very fast class region stroke Edinburgh accent. Anyway, so that my what my life is flashing in front of me, right? I don't know what I'm going to say next. And I'm thinking, do I just put my hand up and say, look, I'm really sorry. I don't know what I'm doing here. Please forgive me. I'm just going to walk on stage. And I remember our tutor had said to us, Lewis had said, now if you forget what you're going to say, say the first thing that comes into your head and I'm like oh what did Lou say oh yeah yeah first thing first thing so I said oh you know I'm Pakistani don't you and they all started laughing and I'm like what is so funny about me being Pakistani and that is when I'm so glad I said that Amanda because that is when I realized that actually people were looking at me and trying to work out where I was from Mm. so they weren't focusing on my jokes they were like is she Spanish is she Italian? Is she South American? Is she, could she be Asian? To answer your question, yes, yes. I do bring <laughs> it in. <laughs> no, I think that's brilliant though, because it's part of who you are, isn't it? So it runs through you and you're Absolutely. using it as a, um, and we've all had those moments where people are looking at us going, um, where are you from? Um, but I want to know, but I don't want to know. So, And I suppose, because it moves on quite nicely about why did you write tick box and what is it about? So it's quite interesting. So that question, where are you from, varies on who is asking it. So it, it's if it's an Edinburgh person asking me where I'm from, right? Well, they want to know what school I've gone to. That's because in Edinburgh, a third of the children go to private school. So they really want to know. If they ask you where you're from, they don't care about what country you're from. It's like, which part of Edinburgh do you, did you grow up in? Yeah. I.e., therefore, which school did you maybe go to? So it's a private school, is it state school, right? And then if in Glasgow, when I was at university in Glasgow at Strathclyde when I did pharmacy, they would ask me what school I went to. And I was so naive. I didn't know what they were asking. Yeah. 
you know, they were asking me what religion was I, you know, Catholic or Protestant. And I'm like, look at me, I'm Muslim. And they're like, I hen, but are you a Catholic Muslim or are you a Protestant Muslim? <laughs> Honestly, those questions were asked. And then, of course, if a Pakistani or an Asian person asks you where you're from, it's like, no, I'm not related to you. Because that's what they want to know. <laughs> no, no, maybe we came from the same village, you know, back home. And I'm like, what, you mean Glasgow? Yeah. Nah. So, yes, tick box is influence. It's a semi-autobiographical story, as you said, about my parents' journey. Um, so my parents came from a very middle-class life. And one of the reasons I wrote it is the stories that we hear in the media and in the arts world very much have been focused around working-class Asian families, and it's all about, you know, forced marriages or terrorism or paedophilia or not nice stories. Mm-hmm. There's never a nice story about an Asian family. They're always the baddies and everything, aren't they? Even in that bodyguard program, it was always a Muslim, it's a Muslim yeah, girl yeah. who's a baddie then. You know, it's like, really? You know, are there not any nice Asian people out there? So I thought, I want to write a story where actually it's a normal story about Pakistani Asian family. Um, there's, there's, um, there's a quote from the play that I say, where are all the normal stories about Pakistani families? You know, the only difference between my story and your story is that I've got a better tan than you. So I wanted to write a story about a middle class family, a happy, sad story. My parents, my father got a scholarship to do a PhD in chemistry from Strathclyde University and it was part of the Commonwealth Fund. And this was the days when we were the Commonwealth, remember we were the Commonwealth and we were invited. We were invited, our parents, our grandparents were invited to come and live and work here. And um, so my father uh, was invited and he got the scholarship to do his PhD at Strathclyde University. And it's about his journey here and then my mum's journey, about what it was like for her. So my mum, you know, like she grew up in Pakistan, well, in India originally, and and then she moved to Pakistan. You know, she'd never had to cook. You know, because of the hierarchical stuff, she never had to cook, she never had to wash a dish, she never had to wash her clothes, she never had to clean the house, she never had to do anything. Her clothes, you know, clothes were made, you have tailors made your clothes for you there. She hadn't had to do anything. She lands and govern in Glasgow, not even Newton Merrins, right? But she lands and govern in Glasgow and she looks at this four story tenement house and she says to my father, Is this whole house ours? Because she's like, oh, this is lovely. <laughs> I've got this whole house. <laughs> and then my dad's like, I, well, mm. and she's like, oh, maybe the top floor. And he's like, mm, no. And she's like, what? Two windows? What do you mean at least we have inside toilets? Because when they came over, you know, difficult for people to believe, but when they came over in the tenements in Glasgow, you have inside toilets. They were on the landing. So can you imagine... My mum's shock, foreign culture, foreign language. She spoke English, absolutely. But just everything was, you know, I'm surprised you didn't get the first plane back. No, but I think it's incredible because it's like just listening to your story. My, I can, my grand, you know, my grand came here and it's so different. <clears throat> and you forget that they had their own, like, I suppose, not struggle, but they had to adapt in their own way because we just take it for granted because we've not known anything different. Absolutely. Good on your grand, I think. Our parents and our grandparents actually had the most difficult time, you know, and great grandparents and people who came here, you know, the Sikh soldiers that were here in the, you know, the First World War, you know, and, you know, and the other Asian soldiers that, you know, that fought for Britain, you know, they were the ones who were the trailblazers. There was an Indian lady who was Indian, but she fought for the British Army. She was, 
She was a spy for the British Army. She got shot by the Germans. These were the people who made it easier for our parents and our grandparents. You know, so actually, yeah, you had it easy. Don't moan about anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we broke the mould. And where can we watch Tickbox and how long are you touring for? So um, if you live in Scotland, then I'm going to be doing Storytelling Centre in February next year, which is in Edinburgh. After that, I'm affl- I've applied for funding to tour Scotland next year. So we'll wait and see what happens with that. So I'm in Leicester in February, part of the Leicester Comedy Festival. I'm in the Art Centre. It's a Q room that I'm there. So come and see Tickbox. It's, it'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It might open your eyes about things. I'm also going to be hopefully doing the Migration Matters Festival in June, which is in Sheffield, because obviously the play is about migration. Yeah, and I'm hoping to bring it down to London. I'm in chats with Soho Theatre. One of the reasons that I I got into the arts, when I was growing up, my parents would take me to the theatre and we were the only white, we were only non-white people Mm -hmm. in the audience. I now take my children and we're still the only non-white people in the audience. And I'm like, why have we not moved forward? And I really want to, so I've been doing workshops before I do the play. I did workshops with Pakistani and Asian people, both in Glasgow and Edinburgh. And I would talk to them about the themes that come up, you know, about race, about identity. But I also asked them, why didn't they go to the theatre? What were were the barriers? And so every place I go, I engage with the audience before. So I'll I'll do that in Leicester as well. And basically what I'm trying to do is to show to be a gate opener for people of colour, mm-hmm. to open the gate, to show them, look, this is what the arts world is like. You don't need to necessarily be on stage. You can be a writer, you can be a director, you can be a producer, you can work the lights, you can do the sound, you can be in a set design, you can do makeup, you can do costume. There's so many other things in the arts world that you can do. And that if we don't have people of colour in the arts world, how can we change the rhetoric about us? So I've got this dual hat on. I love performing, but actually I also want to try and be a role model for people to say if if Lubna in in her 40s changed her career, then actually anybody can do it. If I can do it, anybody can do it. There's nothing stopping you. There's nowhere that says you need to do the same job for the rest of your life. What book is that written in? It's not. We have one life. Go for it. Follow your passions. I think that is really brilliant because I think you can get so caught up in your job and forget actually you don't have to do it forever. And I love that you're one one woman on a mission of like representation in the <laughs> art world. So uh, I think that's great. Oh no, thank you. This has been such a lovely podcast, and it's been great listening to you and hearing about your experiences. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I've had a fabulous time. Thank you to everyone listening to the RPS Pharmacy podcast. We'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to the new RPS Pharmacy podcast out every other Friday. Don't forget to get involved and have your say using the hashtag RPS Pharmacy. See you in two weeks' time.